Yes, um, <clears throat> very good morning to you, KUC. Um, this is the scripture reading uh, part of the service, and today's scripture reading comes from Luke, book of Luke, chapter 17, verses 7 to 10. And we are reading from the New International Version of the Holy Bible. So here is the word of the Lord as it reads. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait for me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, praise, and glory be to God. Uh, just before uh, Mark begins his sermon today, um, I'm going to offer prayer for our, pa our preacher and pastor, Mark Barsh, today. Uh, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father God, may the words of Mark's mouth and the meditation of his heart be acceptable in your sight. My rock and our redeemer, we love you and we thank you for your presence with us this morning. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Church here and I guess church online, uh, we say good morning to you. And we ask the question, why would Mark use this passage for to speak to you today? It's a crazy passage, if you actually want to put it back up on the board again. It's a crazy passage for a new pastor that hasn't preached here for over two and a half years to speak from. But this is a passage that God taught me a lesson in. And I think that God can teach all of us a similar lesson from this passage today. And so today I would like us to look at this passage of the unworthy servant. It's by Christianity Today, they did a survey of pastors, and they asked these pastors, um, which are the 10 most difficult gospel passages to preach from? And this was named as one of the top ones of difficulty to preach from. And so today I would like to tell you just a very short story first before delving deeper into the scripture. You see, this this passage, God taught me a lesson. And in this passage, God taught me a lesson about being servants and being a servant not only to each other, but also to God. And that's part of our commitment that when we accept Christ into our hearts, we're not calling him just friend. We're calling him master, which makes us the servant. And so God taught me this message. And this sermon is about 25 years in the making. And I'll give you a little background. It's about 26 years ago, I was a 
attender of Yokohama Union Church in Yokohama, and I attended the church, and we were quite happy in Yokohama. I had friends, I had a good job, I liked my church, everything was going well, my children were young and in good schools, and everything was going good, and all of a sudden, I felt this call on my life to go into seminary and to go into full-time pastoral work. And I said, wait a minute, God. Wait a minute. You see, going and following you, that's not a big deal. But going to seminary, that was a big deal for me. And it might not be a big deal for a lot of people. But for me, I always struggled with learning. So... Maybe I felt lucky to graduate from high school, and then when my father pushed me to go to university, I felt lucky to graduate from university. And after I graduated from university, I felt like, oh, classwork is done forever. I'm never going to go back. And here, I was at Yokohama Union Church. I was sometimes speaking to the church and doing Sunday school, and... And all of a sudden, I have this call in my life. And I said, no, I don't want to go back. Why would I go back, God? There's no way I can even graduate from seminary. It's so difficult. And yet God, through circumstances, showed me ways to overcome my fears. And when God calls, God equips. I'll say it again. When God calls, God equips. One more time. When God calls, God equips us. And when God calls us to a path and to a place or to a mission or to a service, God equips us for that task. Moses wasn't up to the task except for God. Peter wasn't equipped to be the rock of the church. But God called him, and so God equipped him. And God continues to call his servants, not just the pastors, but God calls each and every one of us. But I didn't know that lesson. I was still afraid. And yet, Stephanie, my wife, and I, and my two children, we risked it all. We spent all of our savings. We left Japan. We went back to the States, and we started living in, in, uh, in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and we started going to seminary, and it was hard. And uh, not just maybe hard for Claudia, it was really hard. And Greek and Hebrew and Old Testament and New Testament, and I'm like, oh, this is hard, and I'm barely surviving, keeping my neck above the water, and it's like, oh. And finals exam was there. Now, we had attended a church, and I'm a Mennonite pastor now, but uh, we attended a Mennonite church, and Mennonites have a high emphasis on service. And so we got involved in a local church near our seminary, and I got on a service list to help each other. And we were in, I was serving in a committee with helping this one woman who was in a wheelchair who sometimes needed a ride to get to the hospital. And what made it difficult is she lived in a wheelchair, but she lived on a second floor without an elevator. And so she needed people to help her down the stairs, and she was big, and so she, they needed big guys to help with this. So finals exam is here. This is the 
tipping point. If I fail my exams, I'd probably fail out of seminary, and then I've wasted all my time and God's time and everything. And so I got Stephanie and the boys out of the house, and I was going to study for my exams like crazy. And Stephanie, my wife, promised that for eight hours she was not going to come back. And I'd clean the house because I do believe that a messy, messy room, messy mind. And so you clean your room before you study. Messy room, messy mind. And so I cleaned the house and I was just walking over to the telephone to unplug the telephone from the wall. I, I know other people don't do this, but I would sometimes unplug the telephone so no one could ever contact me. And so I was just to the phone to unplug it, and the phone rang. And it was a woman, the woman in the wheelchair. And she goes, Mark, can you help me? And she could hear it in her voice that she was in obvious pain. And she was obviously in pain. And I said to her, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, my exams are tomorrow, and you know, I need to study for this or I'm going to fail out, and I'm really worried about this, so could you call someone else? And she goes, I've called everyone else. Can you help me? What could I say? What should I say? What could I do? What would you do? So... I got in my car. I drove there as fast as I could. I drove down the stairs. I got her into my van. And I was not very kind or nice or friendly or any of this. It's terrible on my part. But I got her to the doctor's office, and I got into the doctor's office. And because she's poor, she had to wait in line. She doesn't have good insurance. And we waited. And we waited. And we waited. Finally, we got into the doctor's office, and then she goes, Mark, can you take me to the pharmacy? And I took her to the pharmacy, and it's now about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And then we waited and waited and waited because there was problems with her insurance card. And eventually, I got back home, left to help her at 8 o'clock in the morning, got back home around 3.50, and I was so frustrated. Does anyone here like Charlie Brown, the Peanuts? commercial. You know Lucy when she holds the ball for uh, Charlie Brown to kick it and then at the last minute he's going to kick it and then he, she pulls it away and then he falls down and then he goes ah! That's how I felt. That's what I felt. And then just at 4 o'clock two minutes after I got home Stephanie comes in and she goes Mark did you have a good day of study? And I said ah! What could I do? What could I say? So that night, as seminarians should do, as all Christians should do, I did my devotions and I read my Bible, and guess what passage was in it? It was Luke 17, the unworthy servant. And I said, God, how can I be an unworthy servant? I've done what you asked me to do. And I read the passage again and again and again, and it sort of stuck in my crawl. The next day I had my exams and I did pass. I got a C. What do you call a doctor who graduates from medical school with a C average? Doctor. What do you call a seminary student who graduates with a C average? 
pastor. And so I graduated from a seminary with a low grade. And yet, um, so that night, I read this passage. And I struggled with it. And I kept coming back to it and coming back to it. I asked my pastor, uh, and he gave me an answer. And it was unsatisfactory. And sorry, sometimes when people ask me about a passage or something, I'll try to give you my best answer, but sometimes my answer doesn't meet what the Spirit is trying to say to you, and the Spirit didn't speak to me. I asked my seminary professors, and they were really wise and really smart, and their answers didn't sit well with me either. And so I struggled with this. And then, just after Christmas holiday, a church called me up. It was Saturday night, and they said, Mark, can you come and preach at our church? Our pastor is sick. Can you come quickly and preach tomorrow? And we want to give you the passage. It's Luke 17. And I said, no, not that one. But sometimes God brings back and brings back and brings back scriptural passages to us. And sometimes God brings people back and back and back. And God is trying to say, here's a ministry chance for you to pay attention. And if there's anything the church can do, it's to pay attention to what the Spirit of God is doing. It's pay attention to what the Spirit of God is doing. It's pay attention to what the Spirit of God is doing. Do you understand? Pay attention. And then we have this passage. But luckily, it wasn't the uh, unworthy servant. It was the ten lepers. And I started reading this passage. And turn with me in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles open. It's Luke 17, verse 11 to 19. I'll give you a second here to do that. Luke 17, 11 to 19. Jesus and the ten lepers. I'm reading from the NIV. And verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border to, between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who, who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Then he saw them, and he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. Okay? He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus said, asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, Rise, go, your faith has made you well. And the light came on. Did the light ever come on for you? Like you're taking a test and, and you finally, you don't know the answer, don't know the answer, and then suddenly, ah, I got it. I got my answer of what of the unworthy servant. I got it from this story. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem between Galilee and Samaria. It's on the outskirts of this unknown village, and there's ten men who are struggling. We know this. And 
they heard, must have heard stories of Jesus healing in, from other people. And so they heard about this guy named Jesus, and they heard that he was coming their way. And they were respectful guys because they stood at a distance. They stood at a distance. Social distancing has nothing on the Bible here. And they stood at a distance and they called in a loud voice, Jesus, have pity on us. Screamed it. Have pity on us. And it was pretty plain to see. It was pretty plain to Jesus, to all the disciples, that these ten men had leprosy. It was pretty plain to see that these ten men were struggling. They were hurting, and they needed help. And it's interesting here what they say. Anyone, Jesus, have pity on us. It's interesting words they use. They ask for Jesus to have a feeling towards them. They're not very specific, right? Like when I go to a restaurant, I don't say, waiter, have pity on me, food. I tell the waiter what I want. I want a hamburger, french fries, and a Coke. I tell them specifically what I want. Other times, people in healings would come and say, I need this, this, and this, and this. And sometimes Jesus would heal them, and sometimes uh, I don't know of stories where he did it. But they asked him, have pity on us. People, people are asking church the same thing. They're asking us. They're not coming up to me and saying, Mark, heal me. They're not asking Claudia, please heal me. It would be nice if sometimes, and I've had one incident or two incidents in my life where the Holy Spirit used my prayers and healed the person. But it's not generally going to happen with Mark without... Well, it has to happen with the Holy Spirit. And yet, they ask Jesus to have a feeling to them. And people that are hurting, like the woman that called me on the telephone, ask me to have a feeling, to see them, to touch them, to be around them, to listen to them. So many people are lonely. It's the biggest epidemic in our world today. It's not corona. It's loneliness. And so many people are lonely. And social distancing has done a, such an amazing job with a virus, but such a terrible job with human dynamics. And they're saying, Jesus, have pity on me. Now, it's interesting that they trust Jesus' feeling. See, when they trust that Jesus feels for them, they trust that Jesus has something in store for them. They don't just go and order their, like a restaurant. They say, have a pity on us. And Jesus does. He says to these guys, go and show yourselves to the priest. Go and show yourself. Now, excuse me, at, at this point, are they healed? The scripture is very clear that they were not healed. They were not healed. They're standing there. And Jesus said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And as long as they stood there and did not move towards the priest, towards their healing, they were not going to be healed. 
they stood there. Why would I show myself to the priest? I still look at my skin. It's still wrong. And here Jesus challenges their faith. And this is called faith in action. And I believe that as long as the church just sits here, not just in the worship, uh, please sit here during the worship, but after the worship, if you just sit there in your house and you don't apply the biblical teaching to your life, to the, your wife, to your children, to the people at work, to the people on the train, to other people, if you don't apply it, you're just going to be like those ten lepers that stood there. Why should I show myself to the priest? Look at me, I'm still sick. Why would I do such a thing? And why would they? Why would they? And yet, Jesus challenges their faith. And he challenges them to move. And he challenges the church to move. And as long as we stay stagnant, we never will have impact on the people that are lonely and need help out there and also in here. We'll never have an impact. And the gospel wants to have an impact. The gospel is life and wants us to have life fully. And it's not just a stagnant thing. If you're ever hiking and you see stagnant water, don't drink it. If you ever see a stagnant church, don't go there. But don't go there. Stagnancy is not the plan of God. God's plan is movement. Of course there's be still and know that I am God. And trusting there's times for us to be still and to pray. And this is one of those times. Don't leave yet. Please, I'm not done yet. But please know that gospel wants us to move. And as they start moving towards the priest, I can imagine one of them saying, Hey, hey John. Look at your arm. It's clean. And he's, no, Peter, look at your arm. It's clean. And your face, look at your good. And they started going from a little walk to a little jog to a probably a full-on sprint to the priest. They've been so isolated for so long now they have a chance to resume their lives again they can maybe see their wife again their children there again their friends again their community again they can have jobs again and they start moving slowly and if the church starts moving slowly we're going to see the spirit working and when the spirit starts working we're going to want to do more of it that's why people who are involved want to get more involved in church. People that are not involved don't want anything to do with church because they're not putting their faith into action. I hope I'm not stepping on anyone's toes here this morning. But they start putting their faith into action and they start jogging towards the temple to show because they needed to get a certificate. And there's a reason why they needed to get a certificate. Jesus wanted them to show that there's proof here that there's healing going on. And as a witness to the priesthood of the Israelites, that there's things that are happening in Israel that they should know about and get on board with because things are happening. And one stops. Now, I'm a teacher, and I like it when my students do what I tell them to do. Don't you? I have children. I like it when my children do what I tell them to do. Everyone can say amen here. 
Every parent can say amen. And we like it when our children and we like it when our teachers, and if you're probably a boss, you probably like it when your boss, and if you hire a cleaner and you like it when your cleaner does what you told him to do, and you say amen, right? But one of them disobeys Jesus. One of them does not listen to Jesus. And that's really bad to say in the church. One of them is, should be going to the priest to show his skin to the priest. And he stops. He doesn't go to the priest. He turns around and he throws himself at Jesus' feet. And he starts worshiping him and thanking him. And Jesus says, where are the other nine? Weren't they healed? And the Samaritans here are at a really bad place because he should say, you know, Jesus, they're doing what you told them to do. And then he pronounced a greater healing, not just on his skin, but in his heart as well. Some of us here are dealing with some physical stuff. We need to pray for those people. But there's something greater. There's something greater, a gift that greater than just physical healing. Someday this body will wither and waste and pass away. It will. And I will go to be with my Lord and Savior because I've committed my life to him. And I hope that you have too. And if you haven't, please talk to me or Pastor Claudia after the church service, and we'll pray for you. But... There's something greater than just the physical, spiritual healing Jesus offers this man. And he says, you are healed. Not that the other nine weren't healed of their leprosy, but their spirits had not yet been healed. Their spirits had not been restored to a connectivity to God. And Jesus' healing is the second one is way more powerful than the first. Even though we humans want to put more emphasis on the healing of the skin than on the healing of the heart. But you know what? My heart needs healing. I don't have leprosy of the skin, but I have sometimes leprosy of the heart. And sometimes you do too. And you know, there's only one place, only one place, only one place, only one place that will heal you. It's Jesus. Let's pray. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look onto his wonderful face. And the word will come and be plainly seen in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Those that have been healed, those that need to be healed, those that want to be healed, heal us. And help us to find the joy, the joy of not just doing what we're told like the unworthy servant, but doing it with joy and with passion. Bless this church, bless all that are here, bless those that are listening, and watch over us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.